Hello and welcome. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you are listening to How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. I believe there are many ways to live life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us. Not just the ones who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. I would love to connect with you at www.howshereallydoesit.com. While there, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter to receive future interviews directly in your inbox. Against the odds, that is today's guest, Scott Wells' personal story. We like his story so much because it's the American dream. Unlike his Olympic teammates, who had incredible international pedigrees prior to the 2012 Olympic Games, Scott had never competed at that level. Scott's here to talk about his career, the Olympics, and why he did not give up and was able to make his dream come true. His journey can give you insight for fulfilling your own pursuit. Scott, hello and welcome, and thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) How was that weight workout? Uh, It was uh, fun. One of the things I talked about in the intro was that your story was kind of an against the odds um, journey of making the Olympic team. So first off, for people who don't know you, because as we know, there's a lot of people who don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> Even when you're swimming the races. Let's talk about your career. You know, where a lot of times people think, and this is my experience with working with parents, but they'll think, oh, you know, you had to be the superstar when you were eight years old or 10 years old. So what were you like as an eight or 10 year old? Um, well, I didn't start swimming until I was about seven. I mean, I had done swim lessons and all that. But it wasn't until I started swimming at the age of seven that I kind of got into it. And I started in, I think, November when it was rainy, kind of like now. And, you know, you had to pass like a swim test. And, you know, I was like, oh, this is really fun. A lot of kids my age, you know, running around. And it was cold. So I told my mom I wanted a parka. And she's like, no, you're not going to last. It's freezing. Um, But, you know, I lasted. And I just, it was fun having friends and stuff. And I remember waiting around for the very first ribbon I ever got was, like, looking back, I don't actually think it was a place. I think it was just a participation, but it, it was black. And we waited around at the end of the meet for, like, an hour because they had to, like, in, you know, put the stickers on. This back before they had, like, all the computer systems really down. They had to write it with pen. And I was just so excited. And, yeah, I got, like, dead last in my heat. I was in the outside lane. But yeah, I didn't even care about, you know, what place I got. It was just it was my first ribbon. And I had a good time. And then we celebrated, like, a pizza party. So <laughs> it's not like I was very good at the age of seven or eight. I just, I just did it because I enjoyed it. And so, you know, as your career went through, um, what did, were you, because we've had kids in this town, um, you know, who would be on the cover of the newspaper thinking that, and there was a lot of talent there and that they would go on and be this Olympic hopeful. I mean, was that something that you experienced as a young age grouper? No, definitely not. I mean, I was never on the cover of any (laughs) newspapers or anything. Um, I mean, no, I just did it literally because it was fun. And I think my mom liked it. It burned off a lot of extra energy. Um, you know, you go, you go just to play around with your friends and while you're kind of working hard, I don't think at that age you really realize you're working hard. You're just sprinting to get to the wall so you can talk. <laughs> you know, I, I experience that now as a coach because that's all the kids do. They sprint to the wall so they can talk. 
Um, and that's really all it is. And you go to the meets because your friends are there and you're in a little tent and you have your hot cocoa and, and you're just having a good time. And it, it wasn't about like, oh, you got to do this because you're going to be this really great star. It was, you know, your coaches just kind of, they develop you while they just make sure you have a good time. And I think that's, that's why I progressed as I did because it was, I did it for fun. I didn't do it because there was pressure on being really good or being the star. Cause I never really was. I just slowly kind of kept getting better. And if you ha- look at like 18 years of improvement, even if you improve just a little bit over 18 years, you're going to get pretty good. <laughs> so I think that's kind of how I ended up here. So a friend of mine who's a coach down in Palo Alto where you grew up, um, and he's an alum of the university we swam together, but uh, Scott Shea, one oh, of the yeah. things that, you know, he's one of your biggest fans out there because he remembers, <laughs> he's like, he's just been improving since he was 13 years old. He just keeps improving and even at the age of 25, right? So he gets real excited. So, and I think that's important. Because so often I will see people self-eliminate, whether it's in youth sports or people on their own journey for uh, their careers or um, relationships. They'll say, well, this this isn't working, right? They'll just give up because they feel like, well, if, if I haven't been identified, if I haven't been validated, that I'm going to be good. I mean, did anyone tell you that you're going to be good? I mean, no, I think the uh, the biggest hurdle in that kind of area was when I was in high school and thinking about college, I kind of had to make the decision whether I was going to keep doing water polo and swim or if I should just swim. And I think that was the biggest thing where it was kind of like, if you want to look at this as something in the future, you need to start getting serious about it. And I mean, that wasn't until I was about us. Uh, I played water polo until I was a sophomore in high school. So it wasn't really until then where it really became this, is this what you want to do? But at the same time, it wasn't like, you need to do this. I mean, my parents didn't really care. Um, you know, my coaches saw potential in me, but it, they just, it was up to me. They're like, do you want to do both? You know, that's fine. A lot of people do both, but, or do you want to focus on one and look to get a scholarship or something like that? And that, you know, took me some time. I had to really sit down and think about it. Um, but it was never like the, the pressure and all that to do that. It was kind of just my decision. So when you were a sophomore, how, how good of a swimmer were you? Um, I mean, it's not like I was just this, this terrible, terrible swimmer. I mean, I always thought I was really good. But, <laughs> but I, th- I think every kid thinks that, you know. Um, I mean, you know, I had gone to, like, you know, the, the all-star trips and things like that. But I was never, like, the guy in my event. I was, like, the second or third guy who just kind of kept, you know, kind of getting by and just, you know, kept being there. I kept hanging around that kind of group of elite but I was never at that elite level. Um, I mean, I think it was, I think it was my junior senior year where I ended up getting trials cuts, and that was kind of like I seemed to have a, a kind of a big drop in time, um, my maybe junior and senior year in, in high school again. I think, or I think that I really started focusing, and I kind of got a big tr- drop or drop of time there before I went to college. But I mean, I was never bad. I was just kind of in that right below kind of the elite swimmers in my area. Like, I, I knew who they were, and I raced them, but I wasn't at that level yet. And did they know who you were? I mean, yeah, I think so, because we went on so many <laughs> trips together. I was the guy who was with them, who they were beating. Um, you know, I, I mean, it was never – I think it was easy because I was never, like, a huge competitor with them, so I was able to, like, be friends with them and have fun with them. And, you know, I knew a lot of people in the area, and it was never, like – is, you know, intense rivalry, I think, because of the fact that I never kind of was that much of a rival. But, you know, I was never bad. I was just kind of a little bit below. And so it sounds like you were pretty good at one point, right? And then you decided to focus in a little bit more, which was about age appropriate, mid, mid, midway through high school, because it was there were new goals that were set aside. And that seems to be kind of your pattern as an athlete is that 
as you get more and more focused and refined, you continue to get faster. Isn't that what happened when you went to college? I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely what happened is, I mean, when I went to college, I never really had a chance to get really focused because it kept changing my events on me every year. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I think that almost my biggest problem was that I always, it was always about f having fun first. And, I mean, that's why I went into the sport, and that's, I think, why I'm still doing it now is cause I think it's really fun. You know, I enjoy swimming. I enjoy working out. I enjoy all that thing. So it's hard to suddenly think about it as just being hyper-focused. Um, so I think that's when I, I actually do hyper-focus. I'm able to really, you know, achieve a lot. Um, but for me, it's always like I just want to have fun with it. So it almost kind of takes away. But at the same time, it helps make my career a lot longer that way. But, yeah, when you get to college, um, you know, it's totally different. You're in it for a team environment. Um, you know, your coaches are asking you to do things not just for yourself or not for them, but it's for, like, the team. It's like, you know, the team needs you to do this or, you know, you got to get better because we want to win this for the team. And, and it kind of changes the whole, like, aspect of why you're swimming and at the same time makes it a lot more fun because you're swimming for the guys next to you like every week or every other week at a dual meet. Um, it's not just you and another guy. It's your whole team versus a whole other team. And that, that really upped the fun factor for me at, at the same time that helped me focus on trying to get better. So, I mean, college, swimming in college, that environment was really good for me, I think. Well, and some of the times what they asked you to do is to swim the thousand or the mile. Yeah, that right? wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the same time, you know, I got, to, I got to train with the distance group, and that's just a whole different story. Those are some characters. I think you're just looking at black line for hours on end. You kind of get a little weird in the head. But, you know, it's like I get to make all these friends on the distance team and then I get to go over to the sprint, you know, the sprint group every now and then. So, I mean, yeah, it, ma it made it a lot of fun. And, I mean, maybe training for longer events weren't exactly fun when you're heading in the water the whole time. But, you know, you're doing it for, you know, your team. And you're having fun with it. And, I mean, practices can be fun even when it's raining, even when you're going eight grand at 5 a.m. You can still make it fun. So. So what is fun? You keep bringing this up, and I think some people think of fun as, you know, kind of hanging out, fooling around. You know, and you think about our age groupers and what they think of fun, and then what you think of fun. Are they different things? I think it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I mean, literally, I mean, even in those long practices, if you get like a 10-second break, you're making fun of, you know, <laughs> someone, you're joking with someone. It, it's, it's really not that different. Um, you know, you're there because you see these guys all the time, and they're your friends. You might be talking about events or what one guy's doing and what this stupid thing he did or, you know, like an inside joke type deal. But it's fun because you know you're all working so hard and all hurting at the same time. And yet, for some reason, <laughs> you just start laughing about it because, uh, you know, you're all kind of doing this together, like not just for yourself, but like kind of for each other. And it just it makes it fun just because you're like, wow, it's five in the morning and it's hailing and I think that's ice on the ground and this is ridiculous <laughs> and you just start laughing and you're, that's like you're, you kind of go a little crazy um I think I don't know but it, it really isn't much different than little kids just sprinting the walls so they can talk about what they did in school even though they probably don't like going to school you know I mean, it's, it's just that weird kind of thing that happens when you're in the water I guess just swimming you know one of the things I like about swimming or doing yoga is I like to be with a bunch of people but I also like to be by myself. And I think those that's the common point of those two activities for me or sports, sport activity, is I can be with a group of people, but at some point I can put my head in the water and not have to talk to anybody. And I really like that. I liked being a part of a group that had a sense of purpose every day versus, you know, now being an adult where I'm just kind of on my own showing up to something. But do you like that where you're part of group, but then you can also be by yourself? Um. I mean, looking now that I do a lot more on my own, <laughs> I mean, I really just like the whole group aspect of it. The being alone part wasn't, I mean, that wasn't that much fun. 
Um, I would say that I really enjoyed more of just the group aspect, like kind of all getting together to accomplish something. Um, you know, whether it be to go really fast or whether it be get together to plan a party we're going to have, you know, it's just, it's just that working together to do something because these are your friends and these are the guys like that, you, you know, all the, uh, the sweat and tears you're putting in it together. And it just, it, it forms these bonds that you get really close to these people and they just become really good friends. And I think it's just that together that really, that really helps out. And that's what I really enjoyed. And so when you were at these practices and you were given something to do, did you ever think this isn't possible? Oh, yeah, I didn't just think that. I'd probably say that a lot. Um, like, this is dumb. <laughs> Why are we doing 30 laps and then doing it another again? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty vocal when it comes to um, complaining. But at the same time, that helps me. That's like my, my outlet. I'd, uh, if I kept that in, I'd probably just sulk and swim really slow. But if I let that out, I usually go pretty pretty quick and try pretty hard. But, I mean, it, it's hard sometimes to just to just swim and, and work really hard because, I mean, if, if working out was easy, everyone would do it. And if, you know, being, you know, getting up and training really hard was easy, everyone would do it. So, I mean, it is really hard. Um, and lots of times you have to really, you know, focus and try and get over that because um, you know you're doing it for something that's either just for you or for someone else. Or there's a reason that you're doing it. But, you know, the long, hard practices sometimes can get to you. This is Karim Motokaitis. You're listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is 2012 Olympian Scott Welts, and we're talking about his Against the Odds story. Um, so, Scott, when you talk about all this stuff, sometimes people have said to me about the sacrifices that you made to be a swimmer. Do you look at your career as a sacrifice? Uh, I mean, no, definitely. I think swimming has given me more than it's, you know, than I've really given it. Um, I mean, it got me to an excellent college. Um, I know that without a scholarship, I would have had to go to a state school because, I mean, especially nowadays, I mean, school is expensive. <laughs> I mean, my parents, you know, my mom's a teacher. My dad works for, a, you know, what used to be a kind of environmental company. But, you know, it's it's hard to go to college. And they had, my brother went to a state school, a you know, really good state school. Um, but, you know, it's expensive, and that's where I would have been, which is, you know, totally fine. But my mom was like, look, this is an opportunity, you know, being a teacher, big on education, and swimming got me to davis um helped me get through davis and now you know it's taking me on all these trips around the world <laughs> um i mean looking back i think it's given me more than i've kind of put in i mean yeah it takes a lot of time and you know you can't go to all the sleepovers when you're 12 because you have you know saturday morning practice and all that but um i think you get in you get out what you put in and i almost feel i've gotten out more than i've put in so i'm, I'm really thankful for swimming and what's done for me well, I think that's an important message for people because sometimes people say, oh, you know, you, you made sacrifices or to, to be an elite level athlete or, or even to be, you know, in high school, an athlete, you have to make sacrifices. But it's about choices and focus and where are your priorities, right? And did, were there times, though, that maybe what you put in, you weren't getting back out? I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, so means, I don't know, you could think of it like the stock market. It's up and down. I mean, sometimes <laughs> you're putting so much in, you're not getting anything. And then, I mean, I look back, and you know, if I would have done all this and I would have gotten third at Olympic trials, I would have said that I sacrificed way too much for what I got. <laughs> um, and you know, it could be like, you know, if it was maybe a tenth of a second or so, some swimmers experience that. It's, it's so the, the margin of error and the margin of victory of what puts you over the edge to doing all these like, life-changing things or to just be what you would consider a failure. I mean, obviously, you're not a failure to do that. But, I mean, personally, if you want that and you don't get it, you think, wow, I was totally a failure at that, and look at all I put into it. And, I mean, it's hard uh, just to think that that little bit of difference kind of 
gave me all these things versus, you know, not getting anything out of it. So did you think when you were younger, whether it was maybe high school or college, and you thought, God, if I could be an Olympian, I'll be a better person or my life will be better. Did you ever think that? I mean, not really, because I mean, if I thought about being an Olympian, I just thought that was cool because I was in a sport and that's kind of the, kind of the highest you can be. But I mean, it's not like you flip on ESPN and top 10 plays or like, you know, guys diving off blocks. <laughs> you know, you're not in this sport to be famous or to make a lot. I mean, this was before Michael Phelps, you know, he's made what he's done for the sport um, has changed in so many ways. But it was before that, really. So it's not like you're thinking that I can, you know, be this superstar that everyone's going to see and, you know, you know, drive around in my Lamborghini all the time. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's what you think when you're going to be a swimmer, you should probably change sports right now. But yeah. I mean, looking at wanting to be an Olympian, you think about that when you're like seven or eight, you don't know what it means. You think about it when you're 10 or 12, you think you know what it means. I mean, I really didn't, I don't think, know what it actually meant until I actually started training for it. Um, I mean, even in high school, what you think you know what it means, but you don't really understand what it takes. Unless, of course, you're like this childhood phenom that, you know, you just, you're so naturally gifted that you can just do these things because you want it. But if you're not, I don't think you, like, I didn't really understand what it would take to get there until I was kind of in the middle of it. And I was like, wow, you know, this is really hard. And, and you kind of start realizing, like, I mean, you can say, okay, you got to get top two in the country. I know what that means. I know what that means. Then you start looking at your competition. You're like, all these guys are really, really good. I mean, you go to these meets and you're like, I mean, these are the top swimmers in the entire, like, country or the world. And you're like, I got to beat all of them. I mean, it, it really opens your eyes and you see how, like, I mean, a hundredth of a second, a tenth of a second, that could be the difference. And you start kind of realizing what you're actually trying to accomplish. Um, so think about it when you're young, but I don't think you really, or I didn't really understand what it would take um, until I was kind of in the midst of it. So when did it kind of click for you? Um, I really think, I mean, when I decided I actually wanted to do it and I was, you know, fully focused and committed to doing it, um, Honestly, I don't even think I knew then what it would actually take. I was I was willing to, to do all the work, but I don't think it was until I started going to all these meets and traveling and seeing my competition, just seeing how good they were and seeing how kind of bad I was at that time <laughs> and being like, wow, like this is what I have to do to get there. I mean, this is going to be a lot of work. And I mean, sometimes that kind of gets you down or you're like, wow, like, is this possible? Um, but you, know, you can't really think about that. So how did you, because some people would go to those big meets, right? Or they may go and show up for a job interview, look around the room and go, what am I doing here? These people, you know, you can go right, in, right into compare and despair. How did you just not quit at that point? Um, I mean, you always have to find, I think, something good. And I mean, I would always, you know, go to meets and it's not like, you know, I wasn't making these top eights, but I'd always like kind of swim better at night. You didn't make like, the top eights. <laughs> you made the top I said I wasn't making yeah. the top eights. Yeah, that's obviously what I wanted to do. But yeah, you got to find these good things. Like I was improving and you know, I was getting a little better and, you know, I had some better at night, which was important. And, you know, just about finding kind of progress and knowing that I was still maybe a year and a half out and, and setting a goal. I mean, like, OK, you know, I'm not going to try and go from this 215 to 208 right now, but let's try and you know drop a couple seconds because a lot of those guys who were at where they were, you know, they weren't getting much better. They were already like where they were. Whereas if I could just get better, maybe over two months, three months, get a second better, it's like, oh, you know, multiply that out. I probably drop a bunch of time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's obviously, you know, not this constant progression. But if you think about it that way, like I'm getting better, 
And if they're kind of staying the same, that gives me an edge because I can just keep getting better. And, you know, you, you could tell someone that like, oh, you'll just, you'll just, you drop a second, you'll just do that a bunch of times. And it's not true, but um, that's kind of how you got to think about it to give you an open mind that I'm getting better and I just need to keep getting better and then I can hang with these guys. And so how, how do you, it sounds like, you have a, what Carol Dweck, the Stanford professor, would say is a growth mindset. You don't look at mistakes as a verdict, meaning that, oh, this isn't possible for me, so I should jump ship now. You kind of look at whether it's a mistake or, you know, uh, maybe not going a time that you want to go to as, okay, well, what can I do to get better? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, and I mean, you bring up mistakes, and I'm really good at making mistakes. But I think I'm also pretty good at not making the mistake again. So you go to these meets and, you know, you make lots of mistakes. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like, well, let's get rid of the mistakes now and not make them later on. So, I mean, you got to learn from those mistakes. You got to say, okay, I'm not going to do this again. I'm Good thing I did it now because I don't want to do it again later. I mean, so even something like that where you're like, oh, good thing I made that mistake now because now I know not to do that. And it kind of gets rid of all those what ifs because you're like, in your mind, you could think, what if this happens? No, no that already did happen. What if, like, okay, that already did. And so all these kind of negative things just turn into, I already did that. Let's just not do that again. So it takes away kind of the what if. And like you kind of have more of a sense of this is what's going to happen because you've kind of been there before, whether it be like, you know, travel nightmares or just things, <laughs> I mean, things like that. It's just, you, you know what you can expect now. And I mean, you always, yeah, you got to be open to growth and, and change and learn from things and always just try and move forward. No matter what happens, whether you think this is totally step backwards, you have to think of it somehow, you know, manipulate it in some way so that what you get out of it, that somehow it was a step forward, even though maybe everyone else might see it as a step backwards. And that's kind of what you have to do to keep progressing and keep getting better in times when maybe you're maybe not. Are you hard on yourself? I th yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty hard on myself, and I think people have said, you know, that I'm pretty hard on myself. Um, but, I mean, I don't see it as like I'm always beating myself up. It's just I like to, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it right, um, whether it be, you know, building an Ikea table that doesn't come with half the parts. <laughs> and instead of just being like, well, i got to go take it back. It's like, no, I'm going to get this thing together with duct tape, and <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, it's just, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to spend all that time, like, I'm going to do it right. And if I don't do it right, I think I'm pretty hard on myself because I know that it should be done right. And I think I'm probably capable of doing it right. So I do get pretty upset if I don't do something right. So then if you're hard on yourself, the people that you have surrounding you, whether coaches, you know, just family members, friends, can you can what are they like to you? Um, I mean, you know, your family, you know, my mom and dad, my girlfriend, Amber, they're always like the ones like, no, it's OK. And that almost just makes me more mad. <laughs> So it's good to have like Pete be like, no, you do suck. That's right. You and so like that, it almost for me, it's almost like he's right. I did. I gotta do better because that's like how I'm thinking about it. Like, I know I'm gonna suck, and it's good, kind of refreshing for him to be like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, you know when you do something, when you put a lot of effort in, and you don't get what you want, and you're kind of upset. It kind of just makes me up, like more, more upset when someone's like, no, it's okay. Like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear that it's okay. Or, um, but at the same time you need to have that kind of loving support around you because even if you don't want to hear it right then and there, it's just good to have the, you know, that someone to support you no matter what. And, you know, they don't care how you do. They don't care, you know, if you, they want you to reach your goals. If you don't, it's not like they're going to love you less. Um, so, I mean, to have like this like multifaceted support system where you have the people who are just, Oh, you know, like your parents, no matter what you do, it's, it's good. Um, or like, you know, having a coach who's hard on you, but in a good way, 
or we have like you know like a significant you know like my girlfriend who's like you know sometimes she's like no it's okay and then other times you know to help push you so to have that like multifaceted system just really helps and i was able to kind of surround myself with that and i think that was a big thing to help me kind of get through you know tough times well it sounds like it's it's like having a team right like or being on a team where you have different players have different positions for for different things you had different people that were part of your support to help you on your journey. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, beyond them, just I mean, other people. Um, you know, I was able to you know have some people to train with. You know, some of the old guys from the old team would swim with me sometimes. Um, you know, I'd be swimming with the girls' team a lot. Just having you know, hearing splashes in the water just helped me go from going crazy. I mean, the worst part would be you know going in on Sunday, Pete handing me a key and a workout and saying bye, and I'm just looking at this empty pool, um, and so, you know, it's just, it, it's good to have all those things around you, you know, the, the women's team, you know, my friends, the, you know, the Aquamonster, having something to talk to, like, you know, parents on the Aquamonster were so like, you know, what's, how's it going? You went to this meet, good job. And just having people to talk to about it. And it does, because you would normally talk to teammates about your meet or things like that. So it was nice to have that kind of team environment, even though I didn't have, you know, a, a team per se. Did you ever want to quit? Um, No, I don't, I don't, I mean, when I was, actually going for this like whether Olympics going or? through i mean you've been a swimmer for a really long time right oh yeah i wanted so, to quit a lot and so what kept you from quitting um i think half the time i'll just be an overdramatic like i'm gonna quit <laughs> and then you wake up in the morning like ah, i'm not gonna quit um and then other times it was just you know you really gotta think like wow i've been doing this for you know six years and you kind of look back and you're like man am i am i getting much out of it um so sometimes it's really just thinking really long and hard about it sometimes it's kind of on the whim like i'm gonna quit but um i think that what always drew me back is that i mean i just liked it you know i would if i you know had a bad meet at the end of the summer and you take a couple months off even if i just at the end of that summer was like guys that was kind of it like i don't think i'm doing that well you take a couple months off and you just you have this itch you're like well i kind of want to start swimming again even if you weren't happy with how it turned out you just want to get back and do it again. And, and that's, I think, what always drew me back was that I just plain like the sport. Um, I like being around it. I like doing it. So. And then what about in the last, uh, I guess, the last two years when you decide to come back and, you know, finish out a career with no regrets? Were there times that, let's talk about when you went to Cal in, uh, was it 2011 in January, the Cal invite? That was, wasn't that your first meet back? Yeah, and you so. kind of sucked? No, I was really good. That <laughs> meet, obviously. <laughs> Um, I mean, no, I mean, at that point, I mean, it took a lot of thought for me. I mean, I took a big chunk of time off and I had a lot of time to reflect. And when I like was fully committed, you know, to doing this from then on, I, there was never a point where I was like, I'm going to quit. I might not always been happy with my performance, but I never had that feeling like I'm going to quit. I was always just kind of super motivated and I knew like I had to get this done and I was willing to put all this into it. So at that point it was like, You've just gone so far. There's no looking back now. And I think that was kind of the mindset. Is I, I could never really think about wanting to quit at that point. It was like it was too late to do that. And for listeners that are new to Scott's story, when he, he left, he graduated from college in June of 2010, left the sport, and then um, it was about the fall of 2010 that he contacted uh, his coach, who's my husband, and wanted to come back and swim, and it kind of went round and round. But at that time at least the conversations that I was having with Pete wasn't about, oh, Scott Welts has this potential to make the 2012 team. It was, well, 
Scott should go and swim and finish out a career without any regrets. Yeah. Right? Like, see if he's all in, What can what's really possible for him. And then what happened? And is that different than what you... I mean, no. I think that, like, from Pete's perspective, he kind of went... I mean, look, kind of talking, hearing about it. I think he went from... You know, he's the one who was like, you don't want to... You know, he kept saying, you can make money later, you can get a job later, but you, you can't really redo if you have any regrets about something. So that really kind of puts me over the edge. And I think he started with... Let's see what he can do, and oh, maybe he can get a night swim, and then you know, and then he kind of started to believe he can make the Olympic team. So I think Wait, he, who, you mean you can make no, them? Oh yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so and I think that's kind of where his thing was, and I think he went from mine was always I wanted to get a top eight because I was never top eight in college. I'd never kind of walked out on this national level in the final final, and I think that was my goal going in. And he went from kind of you know, worse than that, like, let's get a top 16 to better than that. Let's make the Olympic team kind of while I was always kind of stuck for a long time. Let's just get in top eight. Um, so I think there was times when he like believed less than I did to then where he believed a lot more than I did. Um, but I think my goal was I always wanted to make kind of a top eight at a national level. And that's what I thought I could do. I thought I could have done it in college. I just didn't. So that was where I wanted to be. And then I think he, at some point, obviously believed I could do a lot better. And that kind of like, I was like, really? And then I think he like really, really believed it a lot more than I did a lot of times. So, And so when, and I remember when he first said it to me and I was like, oh, because Pete, Pete, Pete's not one that just blows smoke, right? I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't tell people what's not possible. So when he says something like that, it's, it's been very well thought through. I mean, he's taken a lot of different data. And so when he said it to me, I'm like, oh. Really? <laughs> and I think I even asked him the percent. At one point, it was probably the fall of 2011. And I think it was after you came back and you got disqualified in Minnesota or Minneapolis, wherever you were. And um, and he goes, yeah, he has like a 20% chance. I'm like, okay, 20%. Well, we'll see. But he was he was pretty much from, I think, that fall on, he was, he was pretty – you were going to make – you could make the team. Yeah. Now that he also was – reasonable because he realized that you would have to be healthy right and that anything could happen and but you know he couldn't control what other athletes did but he felt like you had it in you to go a 208 or a 209 yeah. to make the team I think that that was what I think really helped is that he kept saying what I was able to do and I mean I think at trials that was really helpful he's like look we've trained you to go a 209 um well, I think at the meet he changed like a 208. But <laughs> <laughs> it was like, look, we're going to go with 209. And he's like, I don't know what everyone else does. If everyone goes 207s and you go 209, you did a great job. If everyone else goes 210s and you go 209, you did a great job. So it kind of took away the fact that you get all nervous about what other people are going to do because you can't control that. And with him just focusing on a time that he knew I could do, and that's what we had trained for, that really helped. Uh, but, I mean, along the way, it was funny because we do sets where you have to do pace. And I'm always adding up the pace. And it started out where we were going like, you know, it looked like 212 something pace and then 211. And we kept doing these sets and lots of times I just wouldn't make it. And then we'd come back and the pace would be faster. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I didn't make it last time. He'd be like, no, no, we're going to go this this time. I'm like, well, this is a, like 210 pace now. <laughs> and then we keep doing it. And then I just wouldn't make it sometimes. Then we'd get it faster. I'm like, Pete, this is like a 209 pace. You realize that, right? He's like, Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I, I didn't know if he just didn't know how to add <laughs> or like what he was thinking because like I wasn't anywhere near that time in meets. So it was funny how like 
you know, he kept doing that. And then they got to the point where I was hitting these pace times and it was just like, look, you know, you consume that time. You know, it doesn't matter if you're racing a watch or you're racing like a beep or, you know, trying to get pace or if you're racing a person, like it really doesn't matter. Time's a time. So I think it really helped for me when he would just focus on what I could do and what he had trained me to do instead of worrying about what everyone else was doing. And he, and he focused on what was what were your strengths instead yeah. of saying, well, <laughs> you've got this really weird breaststroke and it's, you know, trying. He looked at what were your strengths and how can we move it forward yeah. to, to make you better. Yeah, I mean, he definitely he didn't try and change a lot of things. And we knew that my strength was kind of the back half of my race. And, and I really honestly, looking back, I think all we trained for was that third 50. I mean, literally all the pace we did, everything was just ready for one lap out of a four lap race. And I think that really helped because he didn't worry about my 100. He didn't worry about trying to get me out fast and being up with people because people go out fast. Um, he just tried to focus on what I, what my strengths were. And, and he knew that, you know, my, with my faults and my strengths that I could go this time and how do we have, what do we need to do to do it? And it was kind of getting that third 50 down. That's like all we did. Um, and that really helped. So did that give you that intense focus and, you know, not worrying about other people, I guess that intense focus and the way your training went, did that help you when you were actually in the race at trials and you were behind. I mean, you were behind by quite a bit. Wouldn't she like last? Yeah, I, I didn't know that I was behind by that much. <laughs> it's really funny because, like, I know this, but swimming breaststroke, you're looking forward. And if you can see someone, like, out of your peripheral, it means they're ahead of you, like, a lot ahead of you. And I know that. But in my mind, you see someone, you're like, oh, they're right next to me. Okay, this is good. This is good. Yeah, it's, like, it's like you see someone, you're like, okay, now let's race, let's race. And you think they're right next to you. And in the race, you know, it, it was kind of like a little like ladder. Or Hanson was farthest away, and he was in front. And Clark Burkle was kind of blocking him. And then Eric Chanteau was next to me, and he was blocking those two. So all I saw was Eric. And I wasn't that far behind Eric, but he was blocking my view of how much farther ahead the other two were. So when I turned at the turn, like, in my mind, I was like, I can be about, uh, like, a little less than a body length behind. And when I turned to the turn, I looked over and saw him, and I was maybe half a body length behind. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm totally in this race. Um, <laughs> and looking back at the replay, you know, if I would have known I was that far behind, you know, I don't know if I would have freaked out or if I would have been just as cool. But I, I was pretty calm at that point in the race because I was like, this is going well. Like, my plan's working. I'm where I want to be, even though I wasn't. Um, and so – it's, it's weird, like, having those people in that order, like, really helped me out. And you look back, like, if it would have been different, if I would have been next to Hanson and only seen him, like, being way ahead of me, would I have, you know, started, you know, like, like you know, like, you know, oh, oh I'm, I'm behind, I'm behind, I need to, like, step it up, step it up, and kind of get off my game plan, or would I have remained calm? I don't really know. So, at what point during the race at the Olympic trials did you know that you had it down? Um, you were you were you were going to be because for those of you that don't follow swimming, they take the top two in the final, so they have to swim the race three times, and you have to continue to advance. So it's the top two that make the Olympic team in that race. So how did you know? Um, I mean, at the third fifty, I felt like I had moved up well, but at the same, I still couldn't see those other guys. Um, I didn't know how much I'd moved up, but I felt like. I had moved up and, you know, Eric wasn't getting away from me. And, you know, he's a really good back half swimmer. And I was like, okay, if Eric's not getting away from me, this is good. And, you know, I felt I had a good turn. And I came off with a lot of momentum. And, you know, I kind of peeked to the side and looked around. <laughs> um, you got to know where people are. Oh. Um, 
Um, and I came up and I, and I was swimming and I felt like I just started to pull away. And like in, in my hundred, I, I was swimming and I'm just always used to swimming and seeing someone ahead of me. That's just what I'm used to. I've never just flat out won something. So I'm always, I give you my hundred. I was doing really well and I saw someone ahead of me. It's like, okay, if only one guy's ahead of me, this is fine. It ended up not being that way. But in this race, suddenly I didn't see anyone ahead of me and it was just like open water. And it was just this, like surreal feeling like I'm going to win this race. And it was just like, it was like no one else was there. And I was just swimming into the wall. And I mean, I was trying as hard as I could, but I wasn't getting that, you know, terrible pain like you usually do. And it was just this, this amazing feeling. I don't think I'm ever going to experience anything like that again, like in my career, just because at that point you're knowing that you're about to calm. It's like this lifelong dream. And it was just that last lap about halfway through when I just felt like it just kind of took over and I just, you know, went into the wall. So regarding the Olympics, you talked earlier about what it means to be an Olympian and you didn't know before this experience what it meant. What did you learn about what it meant to be an Olympian? Uh, well, I mean, I think before I was talking about like what it takes to okay. be an Olympian, um, learning like what it meant to be an Olympian. Um, I mean, for me, I was really, I always wanted, I thought it'd be cool to have that USA flag on my cap. You know, you watch, I've watched the Olympics and you hear Rowdy talking about the people and, and you're just like, wow, like, you know, they're representing our entire country mm -hmm. and they're kind of like the ambassadors for our sport to like the world. And so for me, like when you finally made it there and, you know, you get your, your bag of caps and they say like your name and that big flag there and you know that you're about to go out there. And, like, the whole country, if they're watching, you know, a lot of Americans, they don't know anything about swimming. They don't even know what, you know, the difference between breaststroke or backstroke or butterfly or how many laps this race is. But they see an American, and they're just going to cheer because it, it's like that pride that they have for our country. And I think it just meant so much for me to be able to go out there and, you know, and, and, try and be an ambassador for that sport for all those people and for, the, like, you know, for our country to the world. And, and that really meant a lot to me. And... Uh how was it different than your expectations? Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I expected us to have really nice accommodations, and we didn't <laughs> have the nicest accommodations. I kind of slept on a cot in a kitchen. Underneath? Underneath, uh, uh, like, a hood vent for a, a stove. Um, but at the same time, so I thought it would be a little more plush. But at the same time, you know, it's just it's amazing to just look around. You're walking to the, the dining commons or you look out your patio and you see, I mean, it's like this little utopian society. You have all these like tall buildings with people living there. And just everyone walking by, you know, is like the best in their sport, like in the world. You're just surrounded by these elite athletes and you all have something in common that is just so easy to like, like talk to someone or like, you know, what sport do you do? And it's just, you have this kind of same sense, even from people from other countries, you know, there's this huge language barrier. You know, mainly I would be able to talk to people from like the other swimmers because that's who you see most because that's cool. And there's this big language barrier, but they all kind of know, I mean, they had to put in the same amount of hard work. So there's just like just common respect for each other. And just like, you're not going to just kind of blow someone off or like, it's just like you try and get past language barrier, like, you know, good job or how are you doing or things like that. And it's, um, I think I didn't really expect to kind of feel that like camaraderie among like all these swimmers because you're all kind of uh, doing this for the same purpose. And this is probably everyone's kind of like dream to be there. And I thought that was like a really cool thing that I didn't expect. I expected to be kind of like, 
more like, oh, I'm finally getting this for myself, and this is going to be really cool. And But just to see how everyone was like that, not just the U.S. team or not just, you know, like the whole world was like that, um, and all, you know, all the athletes there. And I think the other part is I was really surprised at how much of a, a team environment it was for, like, you know, our team, Team USA. Um, you know, I didn't know to expect with the other swimmers. I mean, there were some, you know, big names on that team. Um, you know, like Michael and Ryan, and you're thinking like, how's it going to be when you have these huge superstars and then like a guy like me, who's just obviously not supposed to be there, <laughs> you know, am I just going to get shoved under a rug and like, I'm going to be in the trunk on the way to practice or what's going to happen. And it was just so cool how the coaches and everyone just made it so tight of a team. And, you know, you, you might get up just in practice to do a fast, you know, 50 or a split. And one of the coaches would be like, hey, you know, why don't you cheer for this guy or, you know, tell him good job. And you're like, you know, this is really cool that you have these people from different parts of the country. But a lot of them, you know, don't swim together. And there's a bunch of coaches there who you don't know. But we all kind of came together so well. And that I don't think I expected either. I expected it to be, you know, there was like kind of every man for himself type deal. But it was really, really this team environment. You know, we're all wearing the same stuff. We're all you know, going to prelims and finals to cheer for our teammates, even if, you know, we're swimming later. It's like everyone's there to have – like it was almost the fact where it was annoying trying to walk to the ready room and so many people saying, good luck, good luck, good luck, good luck, good luck. Uh, you're trying to be like, folks, like, oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. You're like, how many people are on this team and why are they all telling me good luck? So it almost <laughs> became hard to have to deal with that. But at the same time, it's it's really cool to have a guy like Ryan or Michael who's it's a superstar who's swimming, you know, 100 things have the time to be like, hey, good luck, or that was a good race, How'd you, you know, to talk to you. Um, and that, I thought that was really cool. How was it being with Phelps? Because this was his last meet of his career. Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was really cool because he's, you know, I mean, he is like this generation of swimming is Michael Phelps. And knowing that I actually got to be on an Olympic team with him um, to be his, like, teammate, I thought that was really neat knowing that he's going to retire, that I actually got a chance to kind of be part of that. Um, and... I just say, I mean, I'd never, I don't know what he was like prior to this or other meets or anything, but he, I mean, he seemed to be so into it. Um, he was like the first guy to introduce himself to me in like a training camp at Knoxville. Um, you know, he shook out his hand. He's like, hi, I'm Michael. I'm thinking like, yeah, I know. <laughs> been on the cover of like a thousand magazines. <laughs> but he was like, you know, like, hey, good job at trials. Like, it's cool you're here. And I was like, wow, like, I'm just blown away. I think this guy would be busy or not want to you know like i'm not going to talk to you who are you but it's like he took the time and and he was there cheering and i mean even in some of the races like he lost it's like he didn't seem that upset he was just into it and like you know he had a smile on his face standing on the podium with a silver medal which you know for anyone else in the world that's awesome but for Mm -hmm. him and i mean how high people think oh that's kind of like oh only silver i mean it's tough that he has to deal with that because silver is like amazing but i mean he did it with a smile and you know, congratulating the guy who got gold and, you know, laughing with him. He just, he seemed to be so into it. And that, like, really, like, you know, that positive energy kind of went throughout, like, everybody. You know, everyone was just so positive about it. And it was it was just really neat to be able to say he was my teammate on, like, an Olympic trip. And the rivalry that the media talked about <laughs> with Phelps and Lochte? I mean, they seemed to me like they are just good buddies. Um, <laughs> like I mean, 10 and unders? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I think when they raced, you know, when they raced, they, they have this way of just, you know, they could go from laughing, joking, just being, you know, hyper serious and, and in the zone. But, you know, away from it, I mean, they'd hang out, you know, they'd eat together, they would talk. It wasn't like they're on one side of the bus and the other guy's on the other side of the bus and they just stare at each other. 
you know, it, it's not like that. They they just seem to be like normal guys who, when they need to get serious about something, they could get serious and they could compete. And I think that's what makes them such great competitors. They don't let kind of the media or all these other things influence them. They're going to go out there. They're going to race. But at, at the same time, they're going to have fun with it. And that was cool. Any other Olympic experiences you want to share? <laughs> um, no, there's not many stories I think I should say or tell. <laughs> I mean, I probably have some, but I, I probably shouldn't say it on the on the, on the air. But I mean, it was. I, I came back and I, I told Pete when I got back. He asked me like, "What did you learn?" And and without even thinking, the first thing I said was, "I learned patience." Uh-huh. And uh, he's talked I, about that a lot. Yeah, it, it was weird. I, don't, I was like, "Why did I just say that?" But I mean, it's true. There's a lot of times. I mean, you you had to be places. You had to like sign autographs or do things where you maybe wanted to sleep or you wanted to eat, but you had to do that and you had to do it with a smile on your face and. And or just knowing how long things take like you, it's like you have to be in the ready room 45 minutes before you're going to swim. And it's just you learn to just really be patient and not patient because you have to be, but you're just able, you're still enjoying it. You're not just sitting there like, oh, this is terrible. I got to just wait. Um, it just somehow ended up with just more patience for things. And just like a, I want like a better understanding of the sport or of you know fans and athletes and how it all comes together just I think I came back like it was just this life-changing experience not just because I got to go to the Olympics but I mean somehow like maybe like just traveling around the world it just changed something and I just felt like I was a lot more patient when I got back and I just had this newfound kind of respect just for the sport or for kind of everything in general um, and plus I think you have a lot of time to reflect um, you know while you're on planes you know looking back on what got you to this point and how, you know, it's not just you. There were so many things that were involved and you just really just feel so thankful for so many things. And I mean, there is a lot of downtime, you know, on these trips and you just have so much time, like inner reflection. And I think that you just come back kind of like different. You're a lot more thankful for things. You know, you're more patient. You just have this like more open view of things, I think, because of what you had to go through and what others had to go through for you to get kind of all this credit for it. And uh, do you have a couple of takeaways for listeners who want to pursue their dream, but they're on the verge of quitting? Um, I mean, I think that if, I think if you, you, you can't, you have to be honest with yourself that if, like, what are you willing to go through? Like how serious of this is this for you? I mean, if you're really, really serious about it and you're willing to give up kind of so much, for, I mean, something that's kind of like an unknown, you don't know if you're going to do it, then at that point, I don't really think that, you know, you really are going to think about quitting. But so I think it's really about being honest with yourself. I mean, are you really, really into this because you want to like go to the Olympics or is this fun? Like, because you just want to do it to stay in shape, to have fun. So whether it be sports, or, I mean, anything else in life, I think it's just really being honest with yourself as of what you want out of it. And to not kind of be afraid to, to go after something. I mean, it's, it's really scary to kind of commit yourself 100% to something. If you just do a 99%, you always have that 1% you could fall back on internally and say, well, I didn't give it my best, so that's why I failed. So I think you just need to be honest with yourself and not be afraid to kind of give it your all if it's something that's really important to you. Scott, thanks a lot for coming in today. All right, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is Karen Motokaitis. You've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today was 2012 Olympian Scott Welts. Thanks for joining us today. Go to howshereallydoesit.com to sign up to receive this interview as well as future interviews in your inbox. Early morning, fog is lifting. She's in a row.